is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Seven seven three eight one three eight one one. The insanity, the insanity that is Washington D.C. that are the American media just continued day in and day out, day in and day out. There's a lot I'd like to cover this evening, a whole lot. So uh, stick with us. It's Friday. I keep my foot on the gas pedal. The Washington Post is a despicable corporation. And like the New York Times during the 1930s and 40s, it did its best to hide the Holocaust. And so it is a sickening irony that it comes out with a piece yesterday evening entitled, Glenn Yelkin Accused of Anti-Semitism After Claiming Allies of Jewish Donor George Soros Inserted Operatives into Virginia School Board. And so now what the Washington Compost is trying to do is reach out to the usual knuckleheads in and around the Washington, D.C. area to tell them, well, Yunkin is obviously an anti-Semite. This from the same Washington Compost that all but protects and celebrates real anti-Semites. Like Omar, like Talib, like AOC and company. Unbelievable. Now the reason I'm doing this is not only because it involves Virginia, which is obviously very important right now, but the whole country. Because the Washington Post affects the whole country. And it's by Michelle Borstein and Laura Vozella. And they are disgusting and disgraces. This could have been written by the Democrat Party and probably was, but stick with me. I'm spending time on this. Republican gubernatorial nominee Glenn Youngkin is facing allegations of anti-Semitism. From whom? From Democrats. After accusing allies of Jewish philanthropist George Soros. Jewish philanthropist George Soros, you see. Of a shadowy campaign to place secret political operatives onto Virginia school boards. In an appearance Tuesday night at a rally 
at the Burke Volunteer Fire Department, Youngkin tried to link Soros, his Democratic opponent Terry McAuliffe, and cultural debates roiling around some suburban Northern Virginia public school systems. In particular, some parents are protesting equity initiatives. Listen to this. They associate with critical race theory, an academic framework that examines how systemic racism is ingrained in the country's history. Borstein and Vozella are lying packs of potatoes. That's what they are. They are frauds. Phony journalists. Quote, the, parent, the uh, present chaos in our schools lays squarely at the feet of a 40-year politician, Terry McAuliffe. It just does, Youngkin said in an appearance. But also at George Soros-backed allies, these allies that are in the left, liberal progressive movement, they've inserted political operatives into our school system, disguised as school boards. Wow, what an anti-Semitic statement, huh, Mr. Producer? When Yunkin, who some polls showed is tied with McAuliffe, said Soros' name, summoned the crown of about 700 people, hooted and hollered. Yeah, because he's a bastard. Soros is a Hungarian-born billionaire who has given tens of billions of dollars to charity, in particular through his pro-democracy, pro-democracy? Open Society Foundation's grant network, as critics sometimes use anti-Semitic, anti-Semitic tropes to characterize him, such as the suggestion that Jewish people are secretly pulling society's strings. Youngkin didn't say any of that. He didn't say a word about that. Evoking George Soros as a shadowy funder is an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. This is an unacceptable statement from Glenn Yelkin. Who said that? U.S. Representative Elaine Laurie, a Democrat, Virginia, tweeted Wednesday evening. In an email, spokesman Matt Walking called the claim ridiculous partisan nonsense. He responded to Laurie on Twitter by claiming Soros has funneled money to the congresswoman because he had donated to a pair of political action committees that gave money to her. Exactly. That's how Soros operates. Asked where Soros has backed school board candidates in Virginia, his campaign sent the compost links to articles about money connected with Soros going to prosecutor races, but nothing about school board candidates. You see, this is a joke. Now, the Washington Compost knows that we are, there are front groups that are set up by Soros and the Democrat Party. That's right. That funnel money, one from the other. And Soros is very much involved in local candidates, local political party, the Democrat Party, and so forth. So the Washington Compost doesn't fool anybody here. Halif Sofer. Oh, some Jewish groups had previously expressed concern about Yunkin during the campaign. Oh, what would those groups be? Holly Sofer, CEO of the Jewish Democratic Council of America. Oh, two Democrats. She told the Jewish site the forward left-wing kook operation earlier this month that Yunkin is not disassociating himself from Republicans in the state, using anti-Semitism and bigotry as a political strategy. No, he's not. The Ford noted that Yunkin had appeared on the radio show of Sebastian Gorka, former Trump administration officials with ties to an anti-Semitic group in his native Hungary. Sebastian Gorka is not anti-Semitic, and he's never been anti-Semitic. Period. Unlike the Washington Post, which did its best during the 30s and 40s, even though it was bought by Eugene Meyer, Jewish and a Republican, did its best to cover up the Nazi regime's atrocities for so many years during the Holocaust. So this is the Washington Post. 
Now, of course, I'm Jewish. And I want to tell you about George Soros, the victim. And I want to show you in Virginia and around the country how this game is played. Rachel Ehrenfeld wrote a piece in Arat Sheva, the uh, Israel National News some time ago. Anti-Semitism should always be condemned, but it's somewhat ironic that a man who is Jewish by birth, yet proud for growing up in an anti-Semitic home, quote-unquote, and for joining a Hungarian Nazi collaborator, a friend of his father, as he identified Jewish property for confiscation, who often demeans Jews and gives, gives millions to anti-Israel, pro-Palestinian, and BDS groups, claims to be a victim of anti-Semitism. That man is George Soros. In the run-up to the midterm election, she's talking about uh, two years ago, the, demonize, the demonization of President Trump, Republicans, and anyone opposing the invasion of undocumented illegal aliens in the U.S., which Soros' open, uh, open society foundations have been directly supporting, is reaching new heights in the pro-Soros progressive left media. Trump's opposition even claims Trump's anti-immigrant rhetoric may have contributed to an increase in preterm births among Latino women. So it's not surprising that Soros' son alleges Trump's anti-Semitic and anti-democratic rhetoric led to a bomb scare. And it took no time for the Washington Post and Trump-hating Democrat politicians to also blame the president who supports Israel and whose daughter is an observant Jew and whose Jewish husband is his trusted advisor for the tragic anti-Semitic attack that killed 11 American Jews praying at a synagogue in Pittsburgh. Jewish by birth, Soros has been known to shun his Jewish heritage for decades, bringing it up only when he felt he could exploit it one way or another. And the more he seems to indulge in his alleged victimhood, the more he prompts anti-Semitism. He points out that last week, meaning a couple of years back, when Soros was the first of 14 recipients of all Democratic celebrities, a package bomb sent by Caesar Sayak, his son Alexander, who is also deputy chair of his Open Society Foundations, didn't miss the opportunity to allege his father was yet again a victim of Donald Trump's anti-Semitic nationalist political demonization. This claim was immediately seized on by the anti-Trump media at home and abroad, like the compost. But Soros, who has invested untold amounts of money in promoting American Democrat presidential candidate, hoped he would advance his progressive radical neo-socialist agenda, beginning with Bill Clinton, who implemented some but all the billionaires' plans, as a long history of demeaning Jews and of giving millions to anti-Israel, pro-Palestinian organizations. None of this was in the Washington Post, was it? According to Soros, both Israel and the United States are, quote, victims turned perpetrators, unquote. Soros, much like the virulent anti-Semitic graphic daily propaganda in the Arab newspapers, is comparing Israel's self-defense against repeated attempts of annihilation by the Islamist Arab terrorists to Nazi atrocities. The successful defense against terrorists and invaders, especially preemptive actions by the U.S. and Israel, are never appropriate in George Soros' book. His history of how Israel fought for its independence could have been written by Noam Chomsky, Yasser Arafat, Ayatollah Khomeini. Quote, After the war, World War II, Jews resorted to terrorism against the British in Palestine in order to secure a homeland in Israel, Soros writes, in the bubble of American supremacy. 
Subsequently, he writes, after being attacked by Arab nations, Israel occupied additional territory and expelled many of the inhabitants. Eventually, the Arab victims also turned perpetrators, and Israel started suffering terrorist attacks. So in other words, by surviving Arab Muslim violence all these years, and by defending themselves, the Israeli Jews have brought all these problems upon themselves. Israel Jews are getting what they deserve in Soros' mind. This is, this is the great George Soros who Yunkin dared to mention, you see, because it's anti-Semitic to mention George Soros, who's destroying our country. When the U.S. invaded Iraq in the aftermath of 9-11 attacks, Bush felt obliged to pay attention to his Christian fundamental constituency that establishing a strong military presence in Iraq would help to transform the political complexion of the entire region. This would reassure Israel and weaken the Palestinian extremists, he wrote in The Atlantic. Uh, that is Soros. According to Robert Slater's unauthorized biography, which also reports the blue-eyed, blonde-haired Soros would beam when other children would tell him, you don't look Jewish. More recently, as the opposition of his well-funded political agenda for globalist, progressive, socialist world, especially support of illegal immigration in Europe and the U.S. has increased, so did his allegations that his opponents are anti-Semites. He even filed a lawsuit against the Hungarian government over a new law, to stop support for illegal immigrants, claiming the law undermines democracy and establishes a dangerous precedent. And it goes on and on and on. Soros's 1995 book, Soros on Soros, yeah, not too much of an ego, contains a clue of his thinking. I do not accept the rules imposed by others. I recognize that there are regimes that need to be opposed rather than accepted. And in periods of regime change, the normal rules don't apply. So clearly Soros considers himself as someone who's able to determine when the normal rules, quote-unquote, should and shouldn't apply. Those who oppose him, he deems anti-Semitic. By now it should be evident that Soros is loyal only to himself. His tremendous wealth has allowed him to buy politicians and influence domestic and international politics, which he advances through a myriad of organizations. The religion he was born into, which he disdains, has nothing to do with his political actions. He personifies his agenda and should be held responsible for his efforts to force his globalist, neo-socialist plan on the U.S., Israel, and a host of other countries. Acknowledging his meddling has nothing to do with anti-Semitism, but you can always count on him to claim victimhood and trivialize, trivialize anti-Semitism. That is George Soros, the disgusting Washington Post hack reporters, writing like... American Marxists in the back pocket of George Soros, which that paper may damn well be. Soros, promoting prosecutors who don't prosecute from one end of the country to the other. Promoting radicals throughout our politics. Don't you dare criticize him, Glenn Youngkin, because the Washington Post will quote two partisan Democrats suggesting that you are anti-Semitic. Well, let me suggest it's Terry McAuliffe who's anti-Semitic. Did you hear me right? Let me suggest to you that it's Terry McAuliffe who's anti-Semitic. When we come back, I'll explain. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. 
So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Now, the uh, Washington Compost duo of frauds and uh, reprobates, Michelle Borstein and Laura Vizella, didn't report this, that the Daily Be- the uh, Free Beacon did in July. Virginia Democratic gubernatorial nominee Terry McAuliffe welcomed an endorsement from an activist group that staunchly defends the anti-Israel boycott movement, calling into question his past opposition to the campaign. In a June tweet, McAuliffe said he was tremendously grateful to have the support and endorsement of Engage Action, a Muslim-American advocacy group that has described Israel as an apartheid state and routinely lobbies in favor of boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement, BDS. According to that group's website, Engage asks every candidate seeking an endorsement questions related to Palestine, settlements, and the right to boycott, which make up a key part of its endorsement process, quote-unquote. Now, that endorsement could signal a flip-flop on Israel policy for McAuliffe. 2017, he joined Governors United Against BDS initiatives, which condemned the movement as incompatible with the values of our states and our country. Oh, fine. But neither McAuliffe or Engage responded to requests for comment on whether the Democrat made concessions regarding Israel and BDS to land the group's endorsement. Engage touted the endorsement in a June tweet, but did not release the candidate questionnaire. The group's group's 2020 endorsement survey asked respondents if they support efforts to criminalize Americans who engage in political and social economic boycotts, and on and on and on. Zionist Organization of America President Mark Klein called McAuliffe's embrace of M-Gage intolerable. So M-Gage is one of these Israel-Jew-hating operations, as far as I'm concerned. Partnered with the Islamic Society of North America, an umbrella group that launched with help from the Muslim Brotherhood, and on and on and on to help support Bernie Sanders and the other anti-Semites in the Democrat Party. So will the Washington Post ask Terry McAuliffe about this? Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Just in time for Halloween, the Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi nightmare continues. Call in now, 877-381-3811. It's funny. I want people to think about this. 
We now have the worst border in American history. In American history, you know, uh, some people like to say we're a nation of immigrants. We're a nation of citizens. And in the past, when we had flows of immigrants coming into the United States, whether they be Chinese and Japanese or Italians and Irish or German or Jews or what have you, there was an orderly system in place. The view was and always has been that the United States, the people of the United States, the existing citizenry, we get to determine what's in the best interest of the country. Not foreigners, not people who wish to come here for whatever the reason. We're the most tolerant and beneficent people on the face of the earth. There's simply no doubt about that, unless, of course, you're an adherent to critical race theory and a Democrat. But that aside, we are. And so this has all been turned on its head, which apparently people have a right to come to the United States. They have a right to welfare benefits. They have a right to go to school. They have a right to health care. And they have a right to food stamps. And I could go on and on and on. Because we're a, a loving people, you see, that we are prepared to destroy ourselves. Now, can you imagine if for the next 50 years we had a border like we do today? And hundreds of millions of people come into the country because they decide they want to. And we're, of course, a loving people, a nation of immigrants. And while at the same time we're massively expanding the welfare state so more and more people can participate in the redistribution of wealth, And in addition to that, we have critical race theory and transgenderism. So assimilation into the founding principles, the traditions, customs, beliefs that undergird this country wither away. So we don't have assimilation. We have balkanization based on race and religion and genitalia and you name it, wealth. We have an ever-growing welfare state that reaches into every corner of your life and every corner of the country. And people come in, they, they flood the system, people come in. People come in who are rapists and sex traffickers, people come in, MS-13 people have already killed people. That's right. People come in, uh, massive drug trade going on in our country, spilling over from Mexico and other parts south of the border, because that's what's happening now. People coming in with all kinds of diseases that have been conquered, and of course, covid And while all this is going on, of course, we weaken law and order, we weaken the police, and we reject our own immigration laws. This country is not going to survive the next 50 years if we don't stop this. It is not going to survive. It just can't. Look around you. Look what's going on in this country. The idea that Glenn Youngkin, who's a moderate Republican, and Terry McAuliffe, who was a bagman for the Clintons and a putrid human being, are tied 46-46 in Virginia, a state that used to be solid red and is now blue. Tells you everything you need to know. Everything you need to know. We're becoming a third world country. 
the civil society is crumbling. The ability to put food on our shelves, to sell gasoline at a reasonable price, to heat our homes without breaking our weekly budgets, is becoming something of the past. The fact that you can't get an automobile, the fact that you can't get a refrigerator, a washer and dryer, a dishwasher, the fact that you can't get basics. Inflation is going through the roof. Meanwhile, the Roman Senate and the Roman House of Representatives keep fiddling while the nation is burning. Not a perfect parallel, but so be it. They continue to vote. They continue to spend. They continue to investigate a former president and his staff. Zero attention. None. To what's truly happening to the average person. To the mass middle class in this country. And while this is going on, while the nation's crumbling from within, while we have no borders... And aliens from all over the world are pouring into this country, which has destroyed many countries in the past, including Rome, which lasted so far four times longer than the United States. Our enemies see the weakness, as they did with Rome, as they did with Athens before, as they do, period. And they're on the rise. The communist Chinese regime has now made technological military advances beyond our capacity. And the Russians are doing the same thing. Not because they're smarter or better, they've stolen a lot of our technology. But because more than half the country, maybe 40% of the country, lacks the will to support the country. Because we have a media in this country that will go down in history. A thousand years from now, as collaborators with domestic and foreign enemies, as corrupt, as part of the American Marxist movement that's destroying this country. Things that used to be custom, ordinary, like the classroom, are under attack. Parents, always considered noble, Their input considered desirable, under attack. Faith. Faith. Under attack. The founding fathers smeared. Their histories rewritten and spun. Their their monuments destroyed. The Declaration of Independence rejected. The Constitution of the United States eviscerated. This country won't last another 50 years as a free country with a free people, with a civil society, with a working constitution, with a powerful economic system. If we lose too many more elections, it's just not possible. Because as you can see, the tyranny of the American Marxist movement is moving at, well, hypersonic speed the speed of the communist Chinese missiles. Turns out it wasn't just one missile now, turns out there were two. 
while they poison the cancer of CBS and ABC and NBC and CNN and MSNBC and the Washington Post and the New York Times and the fraudulent, corrupt propaganda media in this country continues to lie to the people, to serve as mouthpieces, propagandists for these American Marxist movement and the Democrat Party, which is the the political body through which they now operate. They're destroying the country. They're destroying the country. People are coming into the country who hate the country. Not everybody, obviously. Many people come into the country and love it. But too many come into the country and they hate it. Look at Omar. Saved. Saved by the United States of America and the people of the United States of America. She hates us. And she hates the country. Look at Talib. Her parents, Palestinians, come to the United States. Nobody's holding a gun to anybody's head. They come to the United States. And they bear a child who hates us. Who hates our government. Hates our founding. And hates most of you. And the Washington Post is offended by Glenn uh, Youngkin, of course. Because it is a propaganda sheet. It is a Democrat Party propaganda sheet, as it was for FDR when it sat on the Holocaust, as the New York Times did. How do you rely on any corporate media operation that helped cover up the Holocaust? Or in the case of the New York Times, even had a bureau chief in Berlin who was supportive of the Third Reich and Hitler, sympathetic to them. Or the New York Times, who had a bureau chief in Moscow, who was paid off by Stalin. Or the New York Times had a reporter in Cuba. People say, why do you say Cuba? Because the idiot Bernie Sanders says Cuba. That promoted Castro and all the murder and torture that followed. The newspaper of record. The newspaper of record. And what's going on on Capitol Hill? Individuals like Lynn Cheney and Adam Kingsinger are celebrated. Why? Because they conduct themselves like Stalinists, going after a past president, using the powers of Congress to the extent that they can, trying to imprison people around him, even though they have no known connection to any riot or violence of any kind. It's of no consequence. They have the support of the Democrat Party, they have the support of a, of a sickening, obtuse, vicious Speaker of the House. And that's good enough for the media. That's good enough for Lynn Cheney. And that's good enough for Adam Kingsinger. Then we read in the New York Post a warning by Rich Lowry, who has steered the National Review into a wall into a wall. National Review used to be a must-read. Now it's a must-not-read. It's monotonous, it's repetitive, it's boring, and it's predictable. That's unfortunate. 
I used to write for it myself, but I got the hell out of there. Don't be so sure Trump's going to be the nominee in 2024. All these things swirling around us, America. The nation. Under attack from within. Threats from without. But Lowry wants to assure us, don't worry, in 2024, you know, Trump doesn't have a uh, stranglehold on the Republican Party. Why, would that be so bad? Would that be so bad? You know, one thing I know about Trump is he loves America. And he loves the people of America. One thing I know about Joe Biden, he does not. As I've said over the decades, if you want to fundamentally transform something, you don't love it. It's like fundamentally transforming your spouse. You must not love your spouse. People like that so much, they regurgitate it, of course, without attribution. But that's okay. That's okay. We're not going to last another 50 years with this. We're not. It's impossible. I just hope we can put a stop to it. I think we're going to try, you and me, this magnificent patriotic audience, and there's others, fighting the good fight. But tyranny is a very, very powerful evil. Very powerful evil. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. good reason because we have our mental health Um, that said Joe Biden made a number of comments last night there that I want to uh, bring to your attention again because we don't watch CNN because we are wise but I do want to underscore this point with respect to the price of gasoline and inflation Joe Biden said there's really nothing he can do of course there's a lot he can do Open up the oil fields he shut down. Open up the pipelines he shut down. The cleanest way to get oil from one place to another. But he won't. Because he's bought and paid for by the degrowth Marxist movement. He will not. The way you meet supply is through production. That is, the way you meet demand is through production, supply. He's cut off supply for ideological reasons. As for inflation, obviously, the Fed needs to stop printing paper, which means Congress needs to stop voting for massive programs and massive debt and constantly move the resources from the private sector that's, that's choking into the government that is lavish. Our government is lavish while everybody else is suffering. So if you support higher gasoline prices and In some parts of California, for premium, it's $8 a gallon. And nowhere is it below $3 a gallon. If you support inflation across the board for food, for housing, and you're soon going to see interest rates go through the roof. If you support shortages of toilet paper, of meats, of basics, well, then you're a good Democrat. Because you're a damn fool. Many of you have voted Democrat in the past. Give it up. Give it up. 
You're voting for people who are radicalized. You're voting for people who do not accept basic economics. You're voting for people who do not accept basic balance the budget, debt spending issues, don't borrow more than... You're voting for people who are insane. Absolutely insane. And then they, they start a fire and then they say they don't know how to put it out. Just have to live with it. And then the Washington Post and other outlets say, hey, look, get used to it. Get used to it? Get used to it, folks. Because they're ideologically driven. That's why. Get used to it. Get used to being poor. And most of the people who say and write these things are doing fine. Joe Biden is fed by us, he's clothed by us, and he's housed by us now. He's been on the public dole his entire pathetic life. His entire pathetic life! So get used to it. He doesn't pay for his gasoline. He never has. Pelosi, been in Congress for 412 years. Neither does she. Schumer, been in public office since he was 22 years old. In his case, pre-puberty. All of these people, they don't give a damn what you go through. Restaurants closed down, mandates, people getting fired left and right. They understand? These people who are getting fired include people who are involved in trying to get our goods to the stores, trying to make sure we can lead, live our lives. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. You know, in the teeth of this coronavirus before there were vaccines, before there were therapeutics, before there were masks. We thank the first responders for helping us, for protecting us. We thank the truckers. We thank the people in the grocery stores. In other words, we thank the blue-collar workers who continue to ensure this country would function. The blue-collar workers who work with their hands, who do physical labor. The CEOs and chairmen of the board of directors and the members of the board of directors of our major corporations, they don't get dirt under their fingertips. The politicians in the Capitol building, the Democrats in particular, they don't get dirt under their fingernails. They pretend they do. They pretend they represent the people who, who do. When push comes to the shove, they don't. The President of the United States, despite his propaganda, has never gotten dirt under his fingernails, ever. Neither has the Vice President of the United States. They like to talk about their backgrounds and how they fought their way to the top. They didn't fight their way to anything. Nothing. They don't have shared experiences with most Americans in this country. 
None. We used to thank the men and women of the Border Patrol and ICE for protecting us from MS-13 groups and drugs, terrorists who might sneak across the border and so forth, preventing us from turning into Mexico, a lawless country with murderous gangs that destroy hundreds of people at a time in the way that ISIS tortured people. And with that in mind, with that in mind, I want you to listen to this clip from CNN last night, and it didn't even rate in the top 20 cable shows, just so you know. Anderson Cooper, whose book sucks, whose book has done much worse than mine, but the New York Times insists on pushing his book up its list. That just shows you how it works in small ways and large. Cut 16, go. Uh, Mr. President, let me ask you a follow about that. As, as many as, as one in three emergency responders in some cities like Chicago, Los Angeles, right here in Baltimore, are refusing to comply with city vaccine mandates. I'm wondering where you stand on that. Should police officers, emergency responders, be mandated to get vaccines? And if not, should they be stay at home or let go? Yes and yes. Uh, so you see the audience... It's a bunch of uh, clapping seals brought in heavy dem- heavy uh, number of Democrats and independents who support them. And that, that's how it works. This is CNN. That's why I call it the Constipated News Network. I ought to call it the Communist News Network. It's a joke. Go ahead. By the way, I waited until uh, July to talk about mandating, because I tried everything else possible. The mandates are working. Now, the mandates are not working. There's nothing to do with mandates. Has to do with the season, as the governor of Florida has pointed out. Has to do with herd immunity, to the extent it exists. One of my guests on Sunday's Life, Liberty, and Levin will be a, a top international expert on matters such as these epidemiology and other things from Yale. Dr. Professor Risch, who I've had on in the past, maybe two years ago. He's a courageous man. And I asked him, well, Professor, what percentage of the population has had COVID-19? He said he estimates 70%. Some know it, some don't know it. Some have reactions to it. Some have almost no reactions to it. And when you also consider 70%, over 70% of the people have had the vaccine, Joe Biden has nothing to do with any of it. Nature had to do with a big part of it. And Donald Trump, who they want to put in prison, had to do with the other part of it, Operation Warp Speed. So it's not working. Nothing's working in this country. That he has anything to do with or a hand in at all. Nothing. So he believes these first responders. Ladies and gentlemen, when you call 911, who do you think's coming? First of all, who do you think's answering the phone? A first responder. Who do you think's responding? Police officers, firefighters, ambulances, emergency personnel. Those are first responders. What happens if you dial 911 and nobody answers? What happens if you dial 911? And it takes twice as long for somebody to get to you because they don't have the personnel that they need. 
Do they want to turn every police force into this country? In this country into the Minneapolis police force? And by the way, I don't say that against the cops. I say it against those who've tried to destroy that police force. Do they want to turn every police force in this country into the Portland police force and the Seattle police force? Apparently so. Apparently so. He says he waited till July to talk about mandating, like he had a, a plan in place. No, he's an idiot. He's a liar. You know, this guy disgusts me. He absolutely disgusts I never liked him. I never could stand him. From his first days on the national scene, the way he treated other human beings, he is a nasty, pathetic, stupid human being. That's what he is. That's what he is. That's what he is. But the billionaires wanted him in the Oval Office. And the American Marxists wanted him in the Oval Office. They knew he was an empty suit. And so there he is, screwing up our country. Destroying families, destroying jobs, driving up the inflation rate, driving up the cost of food, driving up the cost of gas, empty shelves, people hoarding toilet paper. Here we are, third world America. Welcome to American Marxism. Welcome to the Biden presidency. Welcome to the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party today, like cockroaches in Capitol Hill, working through the old lead pipes and the walls at the Capitol building trying to work out deals with one another, how to screw us, what to take from us, how to ruin your lives. And we don't even have any say in it. We don't even know what the hell they're doing. Look what they've done so far. Fifty Democrats in a hundred Senate seat. A three-vote majority in the House. Did you think a republic could fall this fast? I want to thank one Supreme Court after another for screwing up this country, for failing to uphold the Constitution, turning the Commerce Clause on its head. Unbelievable. Unbelievable what's going on here. Do understand, we have more than two countries here, but we definitely have two. The people inside the Beltway and around the Beltway do not suffer like you. The farmers, the ranchers, the truckers. The men and women who work the oil rigs and the steel mills and the coal mines. The people who bring us our fish from the ocean. Who bring us our beef. Who bring us our vegetables. Think it just shows up? The men and women who get dirt under their fingernails. Who are put down day in and day out by these frauds. Joe Biden's never worked a legitimate day in his life. He's a multimillionaire. He's got, he's got an oceanfront home in Delaware. He's got mansions in in, uh, in, in, around Wilmington and so forth. For what? For being a crappy, useless, good-for-nothing senator? They're all rich. The Obamas, Gore, the Clintons. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So Biden says, yes, fire the cops, fire the emergency responders, fire the, the firefighters. Yeah, fire them, the first responders. How the hell does he think food winds up on his stupid plate. 
But don't worry. Don't worry, AFL-CIO. Don't worry, other unions. He's your man. He's your man, not Joe Biden. He's a union man. No, he's not. He's a stupid jackass across the board. Union man. What a joke. Tell me, is critical race theory a union issue? Is transgender a union issue? Is an open border with illegal aliens pouring across? Is that a union issue? Driving up the cost of everything through inflation, is that a union issue? Destroying private sector jobs, is that a union issue? This guy's not pro-union, he's not pro-worker. The policies he embraces are anti-American. That's what they are. Anti-American. He doesn't know a supply chain from anything else. But don't worry, America. He's on the job and he's ready. Cut 11, Mr. Producer. Excuse me. Cut 18, Mr. Producer. Go. What about gas prices? Because gas, interesting... pr- gas prices relate to a foreign policy initiative that is about something that goes beyond the cost of gas. And we're about 330 a gallon most places that now when it's up from was down in the single digits. I mean, single a dollar plus. And, uh, and that's stupid idiot. Are you trying to say a couple of dollars? My God, do we have to live through his, his deterioration? And I'm not putting down people who have Alzheimer's, people who have dementia. It's a horrible, horrible thing. In fact, my heart goes out to every single one of them and every family that has to suffer through it. But do we have to watch this? What the hell is this? The President of the United States? Go ahead. The supply being withheld by OPEC. The supply being withheld by OPEC, you moron. Ten months ago, before you shuffled into the Oval Office, we were energy independent. OPEC was begging us for help. Russia, their pipeline was cut off. Our pipelines were working with more to come. He blames OPEC. It's you, you jerk. Look in the mirror. Go ahead. It's a lot of negotiation that is. Oh, my God. I can't listen to him. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. Side point, and I want to get back to what I was talking about, but first, this uh, shooting tragedy uh, involving Alec Baldwin. You know, I take no pleasure in seeing something like this or reading something like this. I don't like Alec Baldwin. He's never been nice to me. But that's quite beside the point. This is a horrible accident. you got to f- feel for the guys. probably going through all kinds of hell as is the family of uh, Halnya Hutchins, the wife and mother who, who died, and the producer, excuse me, the director, who was also shot with the, uh, with the prop gun. Uh, he's been released. And they'll figure it out. I do understand that uh, the usual crew, at least some part of it, uh, had walked off the set or went on strike or some such thing. And maybe that contributed to it. I don't know. A friend of mine, Bill Corsair, said, you know, whenever they used prop guns or so forth, they would open them, they would look at them, they'd make 100% sure that, that they were as they wanted them to be, obviously. 
But that said, uh, you know, we're not the left. I'm not on social media. I don't have to comment on social media on every damn thing and tweet and so forth. I can't tell you how relieved I am not to be tweeting and not to be on Facebook and so forth. Uh, but uh, it's a horrible tragedy. And then people ask me, why haven't you talked about Brian Laundrie and they found his, uh, his remains? You know, ladies and gentlemen, here's the thing. What can I possibly contribute to this? What can I contribute to it? It's obviously he killed that poor girl, Gabby. I commented about that. And uh, I actually have no feeling for him. Because I put myself in the place of the family uh, that lost their daughter, who was strangled to death. And that's where my sympathy begins and ends. So what am I going to tell you? I can do what they do on TV and just talk endlessly about it and surmise and on and on and on. But it doesn't serve any purpose. It doesn't serve any purpose. The tragedy is this poor woman was killed, young lady. And obviously the killer killed himself. That's what happened. Now on MSNBC... uh, They're very upset about this because they were both white and they want to know why it's being covered because they're white and why aren't minorities covered. And of course, I was the first to say to Joy Reid, and tell me, what minorities have you covered? None. She hasn't covered any. There's murders going on at a particularly high level in our inner cities, particularly black-on-black murder. Uh, MSNBC barely talks about it. CNN barely talks about it. How do you know, Mark, you don't watch? Because we have people monitor it. That's how we know. So they don't talk about black-on-black crime, which is a horrendous, you know, it's, it, it, is a, it is a genocide, actually, in this country. They don't talk about that. So MSNBC, go ahead, talk about it. CNN, who's stopping you? Why attack other people? Just change your broadcast. I mean, you put Joy Reid in there. She is a bigot and a homophobe and uh, gets no ratings, but, you know, They're owned by Comcast, and Comcast thinks this is the way you buy peace, I suppose. I don't know. Now, Joe Biden has asked, uh, what about the border, Joe? Uh, And I I wonder this, too, not just because it's a throwaway line. Doesn't he want to take a look at what his good work has done down on the border? No, he doesn't want to look at it at all. He doesn't want to look at it. He doesn't want to know from anything. And neither do most of the media. Cut 19, go. Do you have plans to visit the southern border? Uh, I've been there before, and I haven't. I mean, I know it well. I guess I should go down, but... By the way, he's a liar again. He hasn't been there. He drove through there in 2008. He didn't visit there. He drove by the border in 2008. Now, I've been at the border, Mr. Producer. I think I've flown over the border several times. Um, But this is what he says. And he's very busy, you know, he's dealing with hurricanes and the damage done by hurricanes. And, you know, he's, he's, having, to, he's having to spend our money, uh, HHS, uh, and, uh, and, he's, and he, you know, and he has international pl- flights. You know, he's very, very busy. He doesn't have time to go to the border. He has time to go to uh, his home in Wilmington 
about 20 times. He has time to go to his home in the beach in Delaware, Bethany Beach, I think it is. He has time to do whatever he wants, uh, except go to the border. It's very dangerous on the border. He can't go to the border. What do you expect him to do? Well, Peter Ducey asked Pasaki about this. We'll get to it when I return. The great one, Mark Levin. Dial in now, 877-381-3811. I want to keep this movement going, ladies and gentlemen, a movement that you and I know exists under the radar. Every now and then we show some ankle. Even our friends on TV and on radio, they don't acknowledge it, but that's okay. They react to it. I don't react. We're in this, baby. We're on the front lines. We're the point of the spear, you and me, all of us. Those of you who have not acquired your copies of American Marxism, please do as soon as possible or get the audio or however, doesn't matter, whatever platform, whatever form. I was in Costco today for my uh, regular hot dog and uh, I want to salute Costco. This book's been out now over three and a half months and Costco still has it on its table and Costco rarely ever does that, rarely. Uh, And I want to salute, yes, Amazon. Amazon has kept stocked up, Barnes & Noble. Walmart has done a fantastic job. Sam's and uh, BJ's and all of them. They've been absolutely superb. So the books are there for now. About the supply chain stuff, I told you about paper. It's no joke. Uh, It's no head fake. There really is a paper issue. Well, it's toilet paper, paper towels, or paper for books. So I want to encourage you to act. I want to keep this movement going. This is our way of trying to defend the country internally. Most of us are not in the military overseas. Most of us are not police officers or in law enforcement. And we're not even talking about that kind of defense. We're talking about defense in a republic as civilians. And we need to keep at it. So let's not let our guard down. Let's not let our guard down. We need to recoup. We need to push back. All right, Peter Ducey questions Pisaki, who of course lies uh, like a rug, at the White House uh, briefing today about Biden and the border. Cut 20, go. Does that count as a visit? He said, I've been there before. You're saying he drove by for a few minutes. Does that count? What, do you, what is the root cause? Where are people coming from who are coming to the border, Peter? The president said that I'm he asking has you, been I'm asking you a question because I think people should understand the context. No, you're where do people, where do people co- I'm asking you if that's Okay, true. I'll answer it for you. People come from Central America and Mexico to go to the border. The president has been to those countries 10 times. Nah, to isn't talk- this clever? But he hasn't been to our country in the southern border. So he goes to these other countries. Why doesn't he go to the southern border? To our country. Why doesn't he visit our country? Why doesn't he go to the southern border? It's so obvious. Go ahead. There is a focus right now on a photo op. The president does not believe a photo op is the same as solutions. The president's doing photo ops all the time. That's why he was in Scranton the other day, rambling there. That's why he was in Michigan before that, rambling there. 
photo op. First of all, are you afraid of a photo op? I believe he's president. He does photo ops all the time. But no, that's not why. People like me want him to, to celebrate his policies on the southern border. To talk to the people who live there. Who are thrilled with the president. To talk to the Democrats who represent the people on the southern border. Whether it's Texas, Arizona, New Mexico. Who are thrilled with the president of the United States. We want him to visit all the little kids who've come into the freest country in the world, who are being fed and being treated so beautifully in these holding tanks, these aquariums, or whatever you want to call them, cages. We want him to visit these places and talk to the women who've been raped. I mean, and talk to the women and talk to the little kids who've been molested. I mean, talk to the little kids. Sure. Maybe he'll even talk to the Border Patrol agents or the National Guardsmen. Or the state troopers. Or the local police. Why not? And he can celebrate all the progress we've made on the southern border. Go ahead. Be a difference he has with Republicans. But that's not what he said either. He said, I guess I should go down. So does he think that he needs a photo op? Is that what he's saying? He he doesn't. And that's a fundamental disagreement he has. Shut up, you idiot. Rambling on like a fool. All right. I want to hear Ducey, but we have to hear her in between. Go ahead. President went to the border at least once, maybe more. You may know the numbers. How did that immigration policy result, Peter? That immigration policy resulted in separating kids from their parents, building a border. Gee whiz. All he asked you is, when is the president going to go down to the border? Driving by the border is not visiting the border. Why are you so defensive, Pasaki? What's the problem? What's the problem? Go ahead. That's feckless and that costs billions of dollars for taxpayers. The president fundamentally disagrees on how we need to approach the immigration issue. anything changed at the border between 2008 when he drove by and 2021? Aside from the fact that migrants are still coming to the border through the course of Democratic and Republican presidents and the, uh, the immigrants. Right, so anyway, to- ladies and gentlemen, uh, you can understand why she can't answer. Number one, she's a liar. And number two, she's an idiot. So she's happy to lie because she's an idiot. Now, we all know what's going on in the border. But just in case, the border situation is the worst in modern American history. It's official now. 1.73 million migrants have been detained on the southern border in the last 10 months. Excuse me, fiscal year 2021. Fiscal year 2021. The vast majority in the last months under the Biden presidency. This does not include, listen to me, known getaways. In other words, illegal aliens who sneak in, who aren't stopped. That is estimated to be 400,000. How do we know? Because we have cameras that count them. We just don't have the physical bodies to get them. Approximately 400,000 illegal aliens, known to be illegal aliens came, in, aliens, came into the country without any vetting, any background, any papers. Hundreds of thousands more have come into the country. They're called unknown getaways because they don't show up on the limited number of cameras and other surveillance devices and techniques that we use. Hundreds of thousands of unknown getaways. So if you support this, obviously you want to vote Democrat and for Terry McAuliffe. If you support 
high inflation, you want to vote Democrat and Terry McAuliffe. Send the Democrats a message that they're doing a swell job. If you support higher gasoline prices, then vote for Terry McAuliffe and Democrats in your own communities and let the Democrats know how much you appreciate what they're doing. Why not? If you hate the cops, you hate the firefighters, you hate emergency personnel, you want to see them lose their jobs, then vote Democrat. Support the Democrats and tell them, right on, keep it up. If you, uh, if you support transgenderism being taught to your seven-year-old, and you support critical race theory being taught to your five-year-old and every, every kid thereafter, then vote Democrat. Tell them the schools are great, even though science and math and the rest are declining. At least they'll know how to be good little racists. And they'll be all into genderism, I suppose. Why else teach it to them? You have a lot of reasons to vote for Democrats. If you're friggin' insane, quite frankly. But they're going to give me free stuff. You know, I want family leave for free. I want, I want uh, you know, a pre-kindergarten. I want it all for free. I want to go to the dentist for free. Free. I want my free stuff. I want it free. Steal it from somebody else. Pass a law. Take it from him. He's too successful. He's too rich. Get it from him. Get it. Get it. Take it from him. Give it to me. I deserve it. Why? Nobody sits on their ass better than me. I deserve it. Oh. Besides, if you don't agree with me, you might be a white supremacist and a white dominant society. But you're white. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I'm a Democrat. I'm more righteous. I, I know. That's right. I think I summed it up about right, didn't I, Mr. Producer? I think I did. Listen to this idiot, Pasaki. Well, he's been to these countries. Where do you think these people come from? Uh, but he hasn't been to our country on the southern border, you moron. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Eastern, that I'm going to have two great guests, Senator Tim Scott. Senator Tim Scott and I have not talked on TV. I don't think we ever talked on radio before. So this is a virginal experience, Mr. Producer. And uh, we're going to have a very, very good conversation. You're going to learn a lot about Tim Scott, and you should, because a lot of people are talking about him and uh, in the future. And uh, also uh, Dr. Harvey Risch one of these truly worldwide preeminent experts on epidemiology, among other things. Uh, and we're going to dig into now this push to have children get the vaccine from the age of 5 to 11, plus wear the mask, plus I have questions about uh, natural immunity and why the CDC and Biden and the others refuse to recognize it, as well as these, uh, these corporatists who paint with a broad brush, and on and on and on. So I think you're going to find it to be quite fascinating, as well as my opening comments and my closing comments. 8 p.m. Eastern Time. If you can't watch it live, you can always DVR the program. You can always DVR it. And really, thanks to you, we are number one primetime night, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Again, that's thanks to you. 
Thanks to you. I don't have the typical guests that others have. I'm not putting anyone down. I just do my show differently. We have one or two guests, and we dig very deeply. And I try to ask what I consider um, important questions that delve into these various issues, and I give them time to answer. What I tell the guest often is, just so you know, off the air, I tell the guest, this show is about you for the next 30 minutes or 60 minutes. I'm going to ask you a question. And then you, you know, you'll provide us with a response. Uh, so um, I think you're going to like Sunday's show a lot. And I hope you'll be able to check in. Let's see. Oh, we have this in the Washington Examiner, ladies and gentlemen. That the mandate will have catastrophic effect, quote unquote, on jobs. Business group warns Biden, but they don't care about business groups. They don't care about, you know, it's amazing when you listen to these, these frauds who think they're smarter than you and wiser than you because they went to some some stupid Ivy League school that burped out another nobody that knows nothing. If they had to rely on on their own uh, devices, uh, they'd starve to death or they'd die of uh, thirst. And the fact of the matter is, um, they're the ones who reject knowledge and science. They're the ones who reject facts and experience, as I wrote in Liberty and Tyranny many, many years ago while they pretend to embrace them. But they don't embrace them. That's why they're Marxists. They talk about things to be, the way they want them to be. So a business group representing wholesalers told Biden that jobs will be lost if he follows through with requiring companies with federal contracts to have their employees vaccinated. Eric Hoplin, president and CEO of the National Association of Wholesale Distributors, laid out the case against the mandates, urged the president to back off his edict in a three-page letter. Now, I'm sure that letter won't go through as quickly as the National School Board Associations went to the president and then to the attorney general and so forth. But nonetheless, he said that if the contractor rule is implemented, thousands of workers will be laid off and the supply chain problems will grow far worse. But we're dealing with a numbskull. See, that's the problem. NAW urges the executive order's implementation be revised to avoid this calamity and provide alternatives to promote safety, including testing, and consider a short-term delay to provide time to carry out these changes and to avoid further supply chain disruption. I don't get it. If people are tested regularly, or if they've had the virus, why do they have to be vaccinated? I don't get it. The tests are science. The fact that you have antibodies, that's science. What do you mean they're ignoring the science? What do you mean they're killing people? The idiot said that the other day when nobody was watching CNN. I mean, why, why is this controversial? People are vaccinated. Okay, that's that group. People had the virus. They have the antibodies. Okay, that's that group. People, maybe they didn't have the antibodies. Maybe they're not vaccinated, but they're being tested twice a week, and they don't have the virus. Okay, that's that group. What the hell's the problem? Okay, you over there, yes, I have a religious objection, okay. Well, that's protected under the federal constitution, most state constitutions, and the federal statutory law, and by the way, morality. Okay, you're in the other group, you're over there. Okay, I have maladies. If I get this vaccine, it can kill me, all right, and you're over there. All right, that's five buckets of people. Crap, now I'm talking like them. That's five categories of people who don't need to be vaccinated or ought not be vaccinated. Plus, on top of that, you have herd immunity. You have herd immunity. 
This is why this is insane. So I think this, we should redistribute the wealth. Those of us who believe in a vibrant society, we should get the food, we should get the clothing, we should get the housing. We should get all the stuff that the capitalist system provides and let them live in their own crap, tyrannical, Marxist, socialist. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. You know... You know how podcasters endlessly and relentlessly hawk their podcast, Mr. Producer, and America? Probably about every 15 minutes, they use Facebook and Twitter, social media, my podcast, my podcast. And by the way, they all do it. I'm not picking on anyone. And I don't blame them. I talk about stuff too. Do it. I never talk about my podcast. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? I want you to sign up for free. To my podcast. You know, it's interesting. Somebody sent me this. I'm not really an expert on tracking this stuff. We have the 18th most listened to podcast in the nation. 18th. And my podcast consists of an, an edited version of my radio show. Right, Mr. Producer? We take a lot of the commercials out and so forth and so on. So it's streamlined. And I do that for a number of reasons. The time this program's on, 6 to 9, Eastern Time at night, some people can't listen. We have some program directors who tape delay it. We have some people who are not supposed to, but preempt it. And so I always want there to be a platform for you to listen to the program. So you can listen to it on the Mark Levin app, on the iHeart app. You can listen to it streaming live on Hundreds and hundreds of stations. But you can also listen to the podcast. And the podcast is set to go almost right after the show, isn't it, Rich? About a half hour. Give it 30 minutes and there it is. So we have a lot of people who like to exercise in the morning or they're driving to work in the morning. For those who actually pay taxes and help uh, subsidize the rest of the country. And uh, people like to listen to the podcast. So last month we had almost 7 million Podcast downloads. That's a lot, Rich. Number 18. When you consider, we have the Mark Levin app, we have the iHeartRadio app, we have streaming on hundreds of stations, and we have uh, a Sirius XM satellite, plus, of course, our magnificent stations called Terrestrial Radio, AM and FM Radio. We are everywhere. And so here's what I'm thinking of doing. I don't want any calls on this, but here's what I'm honestly thinking of doing. In addition to the podcast that streamlines the radio program, because I think it's important, and that also reaches all over the world, and we get people who contact us from all over the world, why don't I do a one-hour fresh podcast? You know how many times I say three hours isn't enough, I could do four or five hours and so forth? Well, what, maybe I should do a one-hour fresh podcast. So in addition to the, to the radio podcast, 
a streamlined version. Maybe I'd do a fresh one hour. Because I think if we did that, Mr. Producer, I think we'd rocket up this list, don't you? I think we'd rocket up the list. And create yet another platform for listening to to our mission, to our arguments, to our substance, and so forth and so on. You folks are so patriotic. You are so loyal. I will never take advantage of this audience. It's like Rush said. Always respect your audience. Always respect the intelligence of your audience. One day you're going to need your audience against the people who try to destroy you. So I don't come on here... First of all, what I tell you, I'm straight with you. I'm not a showboater. I'm not creating a narrative. I'm not trying to find an angle. I'm not doing any of that. I've been doing this too long. I've been on radio almost 20 years now in a slot that nobody thought could be syndicated. East Coast time, 6 to 9 p.m., obviously West Coast, 9 to 6 p.m. I remember when that idiot Brian Williams used to be, well, an anchor at MSNBC before the sun went down, and he used to go like, it's 6 p.m. on the East Coast, 3 p.m. on the West. He said, shut up, you idiot. We know. And he was an idiot and still is, by the way, when he's not ducking, uh, you know, bullets or whatever he was doing in Iraq. Nonetheless, I'm truly flirting with this idea. I just have to have the energy to do it. But I've always said three hours is not enough, I don't think. So I don't want to take calls on this, but I just wonder how interested people would be if I did a fresh one-hour podcast, maybe I could do sort of a different type of show. I don't know. Maybe a one-hour podcast on the Constitution, on American history, on our economic system, or maybe a one-hour podcast that's basically an extension of what I do on radio. You think people would be interested in that, Mr. Producer? Think that would move us from number 18 way up the top? I think it might. I think it'd be worth a try. But I'm always looking for platforms to get the message out. To counter the American Marxist movement. To get good people. You know, as guests. Or even potentially as radio hosts or even podcast hosts. I've done that for many, many years. You've listened to many of them. You still listen to many of them. That's what I believe. The more the merrier. Competition's a good thing. It's a good thing. So that's something I'm actively thinking about. And I've also been thinking about putting a camera in the room where I do my radio broadcast, Mr. Producer. What do you think of that? I know you've been saying it for you've been saying it since Rush did it. The Ditto Cam. Um, so I'm flirting with that. Maybe taking advantage of YouTube, which we don't do much here, do we? There's a lot we can be doing that I'm not doing. Because when it comes to technology, I'm... How can I say this without offending people? Uh, Let me just say, it's just not something that attracts my my, uh, brain power. But there's other people, like my son Chase, like Mr. Producer Rich like my buddy at the Blaze, Tyler, like our, my, uh, my dear friend Teresa at Westwood One, they're all saying these are things you can do to increase the reach, to increase the number of platforms. So I'm actively thinking about these things, just so you know. 
And in the meantime, let me mention to you, if you want to listen to the podcast, you can subscribe. It's absolutely free. It's free, and we're not even redistributing anybody's wealth to pay for it. It's absolutely free. Go to marklevinshow.com. That is the main website. That's my mothership. marklevinshow.com. It's like WABC. That's my mothership. Click on the Audio Rewind. It's at the middle of the top of the homepage. Just click on the Audio Rewind. It's right there. That'll take you to the podcast page. So you've gone to marklevinshow.com website. You've clicked on the Audio Rewind. takes you to the middle top of the homepage. That's two steps. Then on the podcast page, the third step is pick the podcast platform you want to use. You can use Apple, Google, Stitcher. People like Apple, don't they, Mr. Producer? A lot of people like the Apple platform, but use whatever you want. And then you're in like Flynn or in like Levin. And so if one day you can't listen because of family stuff or business or whatever, or we've been, uh, you know, preempted in violation of the contract or we're stuck late at night, whatever you want, you're your own uh, programmer and you can listen to it. And apparently many, many, many of you are. So we've got the podcast. We've got, uh, it's got to be close to 500 radio stations here. We've got our wonderful, wonderful uh, partners at uh, Satellite Radio, Sirius uh, XM. iHeart app, our friends at iHeart. We have the Mark Levin app, and we have streaming on all these stations taking place. And I want to say one last thing before I go to the break. This program is aired on terrestrial radio stations owned by virtually every broadcast company in the radio business. Obviously Westwood One, iHeartRadio, Salem, Intercom, and scores of others. And we're so grateful and thankful. So when you hear hosts get on and say, we have most stations, they don't. They're not respecting you. We know who has the most stations, Sean Hannity. We know who has the second most stations, Mark Levin. It's the way it is. It's not a matter of bragging. It's not a matter. It is what it is. It's a fact. And that's because of you. You, you, you. The Levinites, great patriots. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. in California and some places premium $8 a gallon. Do you ever think you'd hear that? Used car prices hit new record high. Inflationary storm, zero hedge, forces Unilever, which is, has its fingers in everything, to raise prices fastest in seven years. You're only seeing the beginning of this. This is only the beginning. And their plan, I want you to think about this, is printing more money. If they succeed in this, and they will, because it looks like exactly what I said. Mansion and cinema are going to buckle. Exactly what I said. There's been a fan dance all along. Oh, the moderates are fighting with the... Oh, look at them. They're fighting with each other. Oh, what do you think, Frank? I don't know. Sam, Sally, what do you... Oh, Nancy. Two months of that crap. I told you exactly what they do. Bring down the number. Push through their agenda. Meanwhile, they still say it'll cost nothing. This is the insanity that we're dealing with. They just lie and lie and then lie again. 
And the media go right along with them. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Makes sense, says the New York Times reporter. Oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. They're pay-fors, you know. I just got this. Just the News, a great site. And as you would expect, it's, it's close to the end of the election in Virginia. The lawsuit claims Virginia's Fairfax County, this is a behemoth county, northern Virginia. This is a huge county is violating election law. Suit says county is violating law by approving, listen to this, absentee and mail-in ballot applications that do not include information required by the state. And then lawsuits will be brought, and Democrat-elected judges will say, ah, we're throwing them out. And then the media will say, look at that, they brought seven suits, and seven judges wouldn't even hear the case. Look at that. Right, Mr. Producer? You can smell it, can't you? A lawsuit filed by a free market think tank claims Fairfax County is violating Virginia election laws by approving absentee and mail-in ballot applications that do not include information required by the state. But county officials are saying they have not broken any laws. See, in the old days, they'd be rounded up and thrown in jail. Today, they're righteous warriors who believe every vote should count. The lawsuit filed by the Virginia Institute for Public Policy asserts the county, Fairfax County, is approving ballot applications that have been requested by mail or digitally and do not include the last four digit of the applicant's Social Security number. I mean, even illegal aliens get Social Security numbers, don't they, Mr. Producer? Section 24.2-701 states that an applicant must provide this information unless the person's filling out the application in person. This requirement is designed to protect the right to vote by ensuring that only eligible voters may obtain an absentee ballot in his or her name says the lawsuit. Eligible voters? No. By the way, the McAuliffe campaign is running an ad of some fat slob standing in front of a refinery blaming uh, uh, Glenn Youngkin for uh, the, laid, the, the fact that people were laid off there and the uh, refinery was shut down. Why doesn't that slob blame the uh, source of it? The no-growth Marxist Democrat Party environmental so-called movement. Because, you know, Terry McCullough's a liar and a sleazeball. Anyway, let me continue. As evidence, the lawsuit cited a signed affidavit signed by Fairfax County resident who said she inspected 339 absentee mail-in ballots which were submitted by mail and did not include a Social Security number. She said she inspected them with the permission of Fairfax County General Registrar. The affidavit alleges Fairfax County Electoral Board Chairman Stephen Hunt Wrote an email to, to uh, let's see here, to Christine Brim, who said she inspected the absentee mail-in ballots, in which she confirmed the county was approving absentee ballot applications that did not include the last four digits of the applicant's Social Security number, but had been approved. What do you mean there's fraud? What do you mean there's voting? Can you prove it? Can you prove it? Huh? wonder what Rich Lowry thinks. Rich, what do you think? wonder what the never-Trumpers I wonder what the Bush and Cheney... Not really. According to the lawsuit, the county does not have the authority to suspend these requirements. The lawsuit requires the court prevent them from approving any more applications that don't include the information and prevent them from enrolling applicants who submitted such applications without their Social Security numbers. The lawsuit also requests the court order the county to collect those numbers of any person who was issued an absentee or mail-in ballot without providing his or her Social Security number. See, this also prevents people from voting, say, more than once. Yes. 
Kenospeak told who? Hold on here a second. Let me track this back. The Fairfax County General Registrar told the Center Square, that's a paper, the county is processing applications in accordance with state law, but did not comment on the specific allegations in the suit. Hey, uh, we were just served with the complaint this afternoon. You expect us to follow the law? The lawsuit comes about two weeks before the state's election. The ballot includes three statewide races, as you folks know. So here we are, cheating already. The biggest county. What do you mean, cheating? What, what are you, white supremacists? What, what, what are you, against minorities voting? Uh, what, what's the problem here? What are you, a Jim Crow uh, type? Uh, what, what, what is this? Uh, Anti-Semite? You, uh, what's your problem here? We don't require the last four digits of the Social Security number. What's wrong with that? We interpret state law differently. State law says you need these Social Security numbers... And we interpret that as ambiguous. What's the problem? Stacey Abrams says that's okay. Notice all the cheating always helps the Democrats. Always helps the Democrats and their base, which apparently is a very low IQ. What do you mean I have to come and vote? I don't want to come. What's the date again? Uh, first Tuesday. First Tuesday. I'm busy. I don't know. You sure it's not the first Wednesday? I'm busy that day. I got stuff to do. I don't want to vote that day. Why should I get off my fat ass and go and vote in person anyway? Why, why should I do that? Send me a ballot, for God's sakes. Well, you need an excuse. I don't want an excuse. What, are you racist? Oh, no, no. Send me a ballot, okay. Now what? Uh, what do I have to do with it? Pick it up. I don't want to. I don't want What's with the drop on the mailing? Pick it up. Well, it needs to be witness. I don't want no witness. I don't want to, it's a pain in the air. I don't want a witness. Here, just take it. Okay. That's pretty much what the Democrats want to do. That's pretty much the system. And don't you dare challenge that ballot. No. Then you might be part of the January 6th insurrection. What? Oh, yes. You can't challenge votes unless, of course, the Russians are involved in helping Trump. You, you get it. Oh, oh, yes. Don't interfere with the process. It's a righteous process. Yes, every vote must count, even votes that are illegal. Yes, but dead people, sleeping people, multiple votes, they don't live in the right place. Uh, that's right. Every vote must count. Not every legitimate, every single vote. We're the Democrats. I'll be right back. Mark Levin, the cure for the common liberal. Talk to Mark now at 877-381-3811. So McAuliffe is such a lightweight. He has to bring Obama in. I mean, imagine being such a moron that you have to bring Biden in. So that means he's embracing Biden's policies. I want the people of Virginia and America to understand this. So if you're enjoying your gas prices, your food prices, the empty shelves, if you're enjoying inflation, if you think it's great that illegal aliens are coming across the border, including MS-13, known sex offenders, other criminals, as well as massive amounts of killer drugs and all kinds of things, then McAuliffe is your guy because he's embracing Biden. He's not even keeping his distance from Biden. 
He's embracing Biden. Let me ask you a question. Why don't Supreme Court justices resign in protest when something happens on the court that they disagree with? Do you think that would be wise? As an example, would it be wise if the great, one of the greatest justices ever, Clarence Thomas, were to resign if he really had a significant problem with a majority decision that sets the law of the land on matters of great import and morality to him? Should he resign in protest? What do you think, Mr. Producer? Would that be wise? It wouldn't be wise, would it? It'd be kind of foolish. I certainly would not encourage Clarence Thomas or other justices to resign for the cause. I'd want them to fight on. Fight on. Sam Alito, who I knew a long time ago. Gorsuch. I mean, if that were to occur, I don't think that would be very useful to the nation. Do you folks? I really don't. And so I would dissuade Clarence Thomas or anybody from doing such a thing if they were thinking about that. It wouldn't make much sense to me. Now, people do what they want to do. Don't get me wrong. If that's what they wanted to do, then I, particularly under the current politics and events going on today, I don't think that would be so smart. I'm looking at this. Department of Labor proposes rule to add political directors to retirement savings. This is Fox News. This is how they destroy us and destroy you and everything about you. They use the power of every federal office, division, unit, administration, department, every corner of the vast bureaucracy. Not just to push their agenda, but to impose their agenda. They use our tax dollars. They use the law. They use the regulatory power. They abuse it, again, to impose their will on us. While Democrats in Congress negotiate over trillions of dollars in new spending, this is actually the Wall Street Journal, the Biden administration is quietly advancing its agenda through regulation. Witness a little-noticed proposed rule last week by the Labor Department that will add new political directives to your retirement savings. They're going to add political directives to your IRA, 401k, whatever you have. Directives. The administration says the rule will make it easier for retirement plans to offer 401k funds focused on environmental, social, and governance objectives. They're doing this in our corporations. In fact, the rule will coerce workers and businesses into supporting... These American Marxist policies. Do you hear me? An important Trump labor rule last fall reinforced that the Employee Retirement Income Security Act, ERISA, requires retirement plan fiduciaries to act, quote, solely in the interest of participants. That is, in the interest of you. So you can make, you know, a decent return on your investment so you have a good pension. The rule prevented pension plans and asset managers from considering... Environmental, social, and governance factors, they call this ESG factors, like climate, workforce diversity, and political donations, unless they had a material effect on the return and risk of an investment. 
But the Department of Labor, under the American Marxists, and, uh, you know, dummy, the Biden DOL plans to scrap the Trump rule while putting retirement sponsors and asset managers on notice. Listen, that they have a fiduciary duty to include these left-wing investment decisions. Their proposed rule makes clear that climate change and other ESG factors are often material, and thus in many instances should be considered in the assessment of investment risk and returns. This is your investment. So the Democrat Party and the American Marxists have taken their unhinged ideology and they've put it into your pension plan. A fiduciary's duty may, quote, often require an evaluation of the effect of climate change and or government policy changes, such as electric vehicle mandates on an investment, the rulemaking says. Retirement plan sponsors won't merely be allowed to prioritize climate and social factors in how they invest. They could be sued if they don't. Workers won't get any say because plans won't be required to, quote, solicit preferences on these issues. The Biden Department of Labor claims that these factors yield higher returns. Asset managers like BlackRock are pushing to create ESG 401k funds in part because they can charge higher fees. This BlackRock is run by a left-wing kook who's a multi-billionaire. I guess he thinks he owns the world. Like Zuckerberg and Soros. Ooh, did I say Soros? According to Morningstar, the asset-weighted average expense ratio... Okay, we get into specifics so that don't matter. The Biden rule would let plan sponsors enroll workers in these political 401k funds as, as the default, so workers could unknowingly end up paying higher fees. Threatens retirement plan sponsors with legal liability if they don't support progressive shareholder resolutions, such as those requiring companies to reduce CO2 emissions or disclose political donations... Look, there needs to be endless litigation against these bastards. Endless litigation. They're now taking your pension investments in a 401k, an IRA, whatever it is, that you've been investing in all these years, all these decades. All you want is the best return you can get. You don't want your funds being pressured to support radical Marxist left-wing causes. They're taking your money and requiring... The asset investor with whom you provide your money to prioritize the American Marxist Democrat Party agenda. And they're going to do it by regulation, not legislation. By regulation. What do you think of that? Had you heard of this before, America? You hadn't even heard about this before. They do this under cover of the the massive red tape and bureaucracy. So you have no idea what's taking place. They are stealing your money, requiring that the people you give your money to to invest, you're not following this every day, you're not an asset manager, that these funds use the American Marxist Democrat Party political policy agenda as a priority when investing. And the companies have to toe the line. That is, industrial companies, manufacturing, they have to toe the line too. Nobody ever passed this law. 
You have these cockroaches throughout the bureaucracy imposing these rules on you. This is why every day I dig, I dig, I dig to try and find what you need to know. Truly. It's important to spend the time looking. Then we have this. Washington Times. Biden accelerated the regulatory state on his first day in office by ordering agencies to consider aspirational but vaguely defined goals and benefits when imposing new rules on businesses large and small. The order greenlighting, in other words, the same radical kook agenda. The order greenlighting regulations, even when the benefits are difficult or impossible to quantify, sent shutters down the spines of CEOs. And not most of them. Most of them don't have spines. Most of them don't have spines. It's the most aggressive thing I've ever seen by any administration, said Doug Holtz Eakin, president of the American Action Forum, a right-leaning economic think tank. He's also former head of the uh, Congressional Budget Office. The order tosses out the government's traditional cost-benefit analysis before approving a regulation. They just put the regulation in place. It's a roadmap to transform business. It's anti-competitive. You believe this? Already. Uh, I'll be right back. book that was written by, I guess, a couple of journalists a couple of years back, Mr. Producer, kind of rating talk show hosts, conservative talk show hosts, and they claimed to have done some kind of, uh, professors actually, maybe they were journalism professors, and they they found me to be the most uh, hideous of the whole bunch. Do you remember that? Folks, these people hate me so badly, it's not funny, but can you blame them? I picked them to pieces because they're nuts. They're insane. It's okay. I'm loved by certain people, hated by others. And the people I'm loved by are the people I care about because it's you, patriots. And thank you. The rest of them, well, I won't say on the air. But I could on my podcast, couldn't I, Mr. Producer? Tyranny, my friends, is upon us. It's insidious, can be seen in the Democrats' outrageous spending bill, the border, what they've done to the cops, the escalating murder rate, how they're destroying our economic system. And of course, Biden says he can't do anything about any of it, just keep passing his spending bills and supporting him, and it'll all work out. Every Friday, ladies and gentlemen, of honor of you, as long as I've been doing this, almost 20 years.
ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to do something a little different tonight. I want to salute all the heroes, say goodnight to all my very best friends, and goodnight to Dad, Mom, and Leo. But I want to wish God's blessing, I hope, on my brother-in-law, Joe. And uh, if you have a moment, I know you don't know Joe. He's a great patriot. He's a great guy. And if you want to send a prayer his way, we would appreciate it, the entire family. Joe's a great guy. And I will see you on Monday.